What are you doing for the holidays? Nothing. Just taking it easy? Yep. Me too. I'm going to make a ham for the first time. Ooh. Hey, book friends. This is Corey. Thanks for listening along as we have a book club of two over a cup of tea. Our goal is to explore beloved genres as well as push ourselves out of our comfort zone and explore genres we might typically overlook or avoid. In each episode, we discuss a randomly selected genre. We will be sharing our reading experience and a brief review of the books we recommended to each other from the previous episode. Also a heads up, so that we can have a rich and in-depth conversation, there may be spoilers about the books we are discussing. All right, let's get started. Welcome to episode 17, the final one of our first season. We are going to wrap up with talking about Native American fiction for Native American Heritage Month. If you want to hear more about what we had to say about Native American Heritage Month, go back and listen to our nonfiction episode from last week. Actually, I guess it wasn't really last week, but just our last episode. Leave it at that. Yes. So, hi, Kiri. I haven't seen you forever. I know. I feel like it's been three weeks, four weeks. Before Thanksgiving. Yeah, it's been a while. Jeez. I know. I you look so different. You. Don't we look different? <laughs> you should see I barely the... recognized you. Who are you? <laughs> <laughs> you should see the ridiculous shirt that Kiri is wearing right now. Maybe she'll post a picture for us. Yes. Um, it is a Tyrannosaurus Rex wearing a Christmas hat, and it was from her ugly sweater party, which I had to miss because I was at the bookstore working my little hiney off. It was an insane day, by the way. I bet. Oh, my God. Everybody's doing Christmas shopping now. Oh, Man. Well, I saw you. No, I saw you at the bookstore. Oh, that's right. After for Black oh, Friday, yeah. but it was like the shop. And local. I was like, oh my God. This is <laughs> like, crazy. I can't talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this girl's never worked retail. Well, I've never worked retail, so I certainly have never worked retail post Thanksgiving holiday season. And, you know, yay for Brightside. They are kicking butt and people love the store. We have awesome stuff. So, of course, they should come in and spend money with us. Yeah. Um, it's been super fun. In fact, <gasps> two fun things. I got a raise. Hello. I know. I wasn't even looking for one. I was like, that's so sweet. And yesterday when I was working, we're standing at the counter and this woman comes up and she's like, are any of you Corey? And I'm like, yes. And she goes, I love every book you have marked in the store. I need your help to find another book to read. And I'm like, thank you. That's awesome. You know, I don't know what you've seen, right? We have uh, staff pick bookmarks that we put in books with our names on them. So I was like, oh, my gosh, my first fan. (laughs) (laughs) At first, I thought you were going to say, I listened to your podcast, and I just wanted to tell you. And I was, like, super stoked. Well, that would have been cool, too. (laughs) I mean, it's still exciting, but I was kind of like, oh, womp, womp. It's not a random person saying, like, they love our podcast. Oh, well, well, okay. We got some work there. Yeah. Yeah. We have plans. We have plans. Big, big plans. Big plans. Yeah. Yeah. P.S. There probably will be some changes after the first of the year, which is one of the reasons we're taking a break, so that we can do some strategery. Strategic podcasting. Podcasting. Really more like thinking. Yeah. Trying to figure out what the hell we're going to do next. Right. Yeah, probably a little reorganizing yeah. and, and some marketing. We need to get our butts in gear in that area, I think. And that's bit. how you can help by sharing with your <gasps> friends and family. 
Halloween. Oh, hey. hey. And yes, and you should be on the lookout. So one of the things we are going to do to wrap up the year, and we're going to do this through social media. So if you're not currently following us, you need to be. Um, we're going to do some giveaways. Yep. And we're going to make you work for it, though. So you're going to have to, like, tell everyone that you know about us, and you're going to have to like stuff. And you're going to have to rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Yep. But the nice thing is, is the more you do, the more entries you get, and then you will be in the running for um, a bag of goodies from us, um, including some of our favorite books of the year. Yep. You yeah. better do it. Better do it. I mean, I can do it and read us and like us and just win all the books back. Yeah. So. Yeah. That'd be Competition, weird. people. Competition. So so stay tuned. Keep or your- I can go for your books. Yeah. Curious kind of competitive, y'all. So you better get on it. So yes, be watching us on Insta probably mainly Instagram and Facebook. Yeah. Maybe a little Twitter. Um, and probably in the next week or so. It's one of the planning things we need to do. We yeah. will be giving you some instructions and letting you know what you might be able to win. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. All right. Well, I know you're really here for us to talk about books with you. Oh, and tea. So, and tea. Ooh, so we have something fun today with yeah. the tea. Do you want to talk about it first? So Tazo T sent us an Instagram message saying that they wanted to send something sweet our way via snail mail. And we were like, ooh. And we were like, hell yeah, Tazo. We will take whatever you're going to send us. So they sent oh. us this adorable little bag filled Which with. We're going to have to flip a coin on. I know. <laughs> or do joint ownership. <laughs> I'll have it this weekend, and you're going to have it next. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, they sent us their dessert special teas, dessert delight teas, and Mm -hmm. it it includes butterscotch blondie, glazed lemon loaf, and vanilla bean macaron. Yes, like the French macaron. Yes, Mm. and they also sent us these adorable dessert pins that go Mm -hmm. hand-in-hand with the flavors of the tea. So there's a lemon, there's a macaron, there's a I Heart Tazo tea flag, Mm -hmm. there's a blondie Mm -hmm. exclamation point, and a cup of Tazo tea. They're so adorable. And I think if you go back and look at our social media posts, uh, Kiri did put a picture of the fun stuff that we yes. got but also our picture for this uh, episode will have all our cute stuff in it too yeah so we would like to say thank you so much tazo for making our day a little bit sweeter oh and making us feel so loved i know so so on to the tea so we each tried one um i grabbed the glazed lemon loaf because this girl always loves something with a little bit of citrus mm-hmm. and it's good i didn't know what to expect um it's an herbal infusion with notes of bright lemon and creamy vanilla and that describes it perfectly. It's not too sweet, and um, the lemon is very subtle. It doesn't taste fake or anything like that. And then there's just a little hint of vanilla. I mean, it literally tastes like you're eating a – well, I wouldn't say a lemon bar. It's not quite that tart. It really does taste like you're eating lemon loaf. Like, That's awesome. Like if you're eating it from, like, Starbucks or something. Mm-hmm. Guilty pleasure. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I picked the vanilla bean macaron, which is a black tea, and it has, fra- um, it has vanilla and a dash of cinnamon. And mm-hmm. I can't really taste the cinnamon. But the vanilla Mm. comes in nice and strong. It's a nice, really, I think it is definitely a dessert tea. Like Mm -hmm. if you're ever craving something sweet and you are not eating dessert like I'm currently not doing, then having this cup of tea, knowing that you're not breaking any sugar rules is awesome. (laughs) Also, I just noticed, have they always been non-GMO certified? I don't know. It's new on their packaging. Yeah, I was just noticing that as well. But I think they must because most of their teas are organic, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so. Yeah, but I appreciate that they put that on there. Totally. So, 
so yes, we certainly heart Tazo, as the little flag says, and um, we endorse these teas. Definitely. We've liked almost all of them so far. Indeed. Yeah. I'm a big Tazo fan in general, so I'm really excited that they paid attention to us I and know. gave us a treat. I know. It's like we're famous. <laughs> or it was almost. Like, almost. <laughs> hey, that's a movie. <laughs> all right. We're a little punchy. We haven't seen each other in so long, so our like humor is... On point. Yes, we're totally goofy today. <laughs> YOLO. <laughs> <laughs> no one says YOLO anymore. I say it. <laughs> oh, okay. No one but Kiri says YOLO anymore. She's bringing it back. Bringing it back. All like right. We'll have to do hashtag YOLO on the Heck posting. yes, I will do that. Sweet. I like it. <laughs> All right. So on to some more serious stuff. Ugh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as so yeah, so we you know one of our commitments is that we wanted to explore readings by diverse voices and diverse histories, as we've said all along. And um, we thought one of the great ways to do that would be to acknowledge and celebrate different heritage month, cultural heritage months. Um, and so we in November is Native American Heritage Month, and so we dived into that. So I can give you my first kind of just general thoughts about this experience, um, which may, again, as you all will find out later, maybe lead into how we adjust. And I think here was my my challenge. I loved our nonfiction ones. They were so good. They were probably two of my favorite books of the year, actually. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we got to the fiction, and I think I became oversaturated. Yeah. I, not to say that you can never read enough about issues in the world, but uh, what I started thinking about is if you've ever done research and you have to do a literature review, you know how they say once you start seeing the same information Mm -hmm. again and again, it's time to stop? Yep. I felt like I reached that point. Um, And that was really unfortunate because I think the two books are really good but I think I'd had enough, yeah. at least for right now. And so I think that's a lesson that I take away from where we're at right now and that maybe four books about that pretty much are variations on the same story yeah. um, right in a row is a little too much. I wonder if maybe we should have done more research to get like a different perspective, like different books mm-hmm. talking about different things. Because all four books are kind of about the mistreatment and horrible things that happen to Native Americans. And maybe that's all the books that say, there are out there. But I there has to it. be like a Native American author who doesn't write about the brutalness of what their experiences were. You don't think so? You know, since I've taken several Southwestern history classes, I've done a lot of hist- Native American and Indigenous nonfiction. Mm-hmm. They, yes. All the same, basically. Um, yes, pretty. I, which is, I think, is an important point to make is that I their history is really challenged, especially by white colonialism and, their, and all of that. Um, and I just... Yeah, I mean, I think they're and they're still currently facing challenges. So there's not even a happy ending. Like there's still a lot of discrimination and hatred and misunderstanding. And And then we have a president that makes really stupid comments on national television. Oh, I missed that. All right. Well, we'll talk about that (laughs) offline. Um, But so so that's my one piece of advice, I guess, for even for our listeners is Mm -hmm. if you're interested in this topic. And you like the sounds of the books that we have talked about, 
take them one at a time. Yeah. Um, space them out. Don't just try and dive into all four like we did because I think we weren't able to fully appreciate them. Yeah. I, think- I just I, like literally like I it took every ounce of my fiber and being to finish Last Woman Standing mm-hmm. and I did it last night mm-hmm. because we had committed to recording today. Yeah. I have to admit that I was so enraptured or enraptured. Is that even a word? I think so. I don't know if it's the right word I'm trying to use. Anyway, I was so enthralled. That's the word I'm trying mm, to look for. Okay. About Corey, your nonfiction mm-hmm. piece that I prioritized reading that one before yeah. the fiction pieces because mm-hmm. it just sounded so groovy. And then I finished it and I was <laughs> listening to the Arunda on audio uh-huh. and then reading Last Standing Woman. And uh-huh. it was just, it got to the point where my audio book was going like two times the speed because I just wanted to get it over with. Uh-huh. And the Last Standing Woman, it was like, I'm going to read the first paragraph and then the last paragraph and then I'll understand <laughs> like what the hell what happened right. in between. Just because it was too much. I agree. It was over, over stimulated in regards to the shitty experiences that Mm -hmm. unfortunately white people have put Native Americans through. And I think maybe next time when we do a Heritage Month, you pick a fiction book and I pick a nonfiction book or vice versa. And Mm -hmm. then that way we only talk about one book and maybe appreciate it and savor it a little bit more. And this is why this is my (laughs) podcast, buddy, because that was pretty much what I was going to suggest as well. So we are so on the same page. High five. Yeah. Sorry, that was probably loud for everyone. (laughs) Um. I agree. And P.S., I, I don't know if this was out when we did our recording, but uh, Killers of the Flower Moon was actually a national book finalist. Oh, that's yes. cool. So um, I picked a good one. Yeah, you did. Yours was good, too, though. I, I, mine's I, coming into a movie. I think it's going to come out really? soon. Yeah, I oh. think the early year. I honestly keep thinking about yours, though. Yeah. I, I really want to buy it for myself. And I, I mean, it's one of those books I feel like I do want to go back and revisit mm-hmm. it. There was just so much powerful imagery and reflection in that book. It just... And the words were beautiful. Uh, I mean, he did such a fabulous job. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, you know what? I think that is going to be one of my top five books for the year. Oh, so uh-huh. you might have the chance to win it, people. Hey, hey, hey. Um, <laughs> okay. So with that said, I did take some notes. Um, I'm, I might dominate the conversation a little bit with Curie <laughs> jumping in because I'm kind of more the anal note taker. Um, but I think as I chat, she's probably going to – it's going to prompt her to remember some things. Yeah. But we do want to share what are the books about. Like we've been saying, oh, we had too much. And I do want to say, um, you know – Hopefully, I don't think we'll offend anyone, but, you know, we're not being dismissive of the story. Um, I I think it really was just sometimes when you're reading really hard things, you have to do it in small doses or you start to lose appreciation for it. And so I honestly would say I would recommend either of these two books. Um, to people who are looking for a non-fictional account. Although, honestly, if you're just wanting to learn more about Native American history, I would suggest the, the non-fictional ones. But these these were well-written. I think it just – it was too much. Yeah. I, 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 and I, I kept picking them up and took, putting them down. It took me a while to slog mm-hmm. through them. Um, I took them on vacation. <laughs> the Arenda was huge. It was huge. It's a yeah. long book. So, so let's We're start. also going to maybe put page limits on the next round of books. <laughs> <laughs> maybe so. Or maybe take longer to read them. Yeah. So, yeah. See, you, you, you're hearing us brainstorm as we speak. <laughs> We're learning as we go. It's, and the story of life, The right? story of life. <laughs> okay. So The Arenda by Joseph Boyden, which was your pick. It was, yep. And it has a really cool cover. So it check does. out our picture. I love the picture. So do you remember what the Arenda, why it's called The Arenda? No. 
The Arenda stands for life spirit. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, they believe that the life, everything has a life spirit. Mm -hmm. Rocks, trees, Mm -hmm. animals, humans, um, you know, which is kind of a classic Native American Mm -hmm. spiritual belief. And it is set in, oh, oh, I have this somewhere. Mm, I don't see it. Uh, You know what? Okay. So it is set (laughs) on the East Coast. It is the Hurons. So it's near Lake Huron. And um, it starts in the 17, well, it doesn't even start. It's set in the 1700s. Mm-hmm. And I think the things that you should first know, trigger warning, it is super, super violent. Yep. There are lots of graphic descriptions of torture mm-hmm. and rape, this particular torture, which I had mixed feelings about. And I felt like it reinforced the image of the um, – violent scary indian perception yeah and and that's where i would say my knowledge of native american history is a little weaker in that and and i would say and maybe it's because i'm being overly sensitive because certainly native americans aren't the only people to torture their enemies right there's plenty of stories out there of torturing this book just really seemed to relish in going into the torturing um in great detail it kind of felt like um king henry the eighth he like loved killing his enemies. Right. So I yeah, so it's kind of weird, but I feel and so it may be a true account, but I think again we often have this Native Americans are scary, violent, savages, savages yeah. and it really reinforced that concept. What I did like about the book is it's written by three points of view. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say who? The bird. The bird. The, so that was the Huron leader. Yeah. Yep. The priest. Yep, they called him the crow, and I think his name was Jonathan Jeremy. No, oops, Christopher Christophe. He's he was a French Catholic priest, Christophe. And then the woman, um, Snowfalls. Snowfalls. So basically, the way where this starts again. So this is written from three points of view. So the chapters alternate between Snowfalls, who is a young um, enemy tribe. Her so basically, birds. Um, hunting party kills her family he decides to take her and adopt her as his daughter um, which as you can imagine makes for some weird dynamics when you try to adopt someone when you just killed their family Mm -hmm. so there's a there's a lot of conflict between them especially in her early life ranging from her peeing in his bed Mm -hmm. um she chops off his finger and accidentally chops her own finger off um, but they eventually grow to love each other, which I thought I, I did love the growth through that, that eventually she, even though she was conflicted, she grew to appreciate and love him as, um, a father figure. I kind of felt like she was manipulating him though. Like that there mm-hmm. was this sort, this weird sort of witchery happening. Cause I remember who was it? They were like Gosling. Maybe. Yeah. The woman, the medicine woman that bird was sleeping with yeah yes gosling okay mm-hmm. maybe i was just i listened to the audiobook so it was a little bit harder to keep track of all uh, the characters uh-huh. and the narrating okay. but that's that's who i'm talking about yeah well and i think yes yeah, she for a long time was manipulating him but i yeah. think as she became an adult and matured i mean she was a child when right. he took her and she watched her family be savagely murdered so i think you know as any small children and teenagers would do she acted out quite a bit and as she matured 
she recognized. I, I think she always had some ambivalence with him for throughout her life, mm-hmm. but I think she grew to love him too, which made it even more. <laughs> it's complicated. It's, it's a weird, weird situation. <laughs> it is, but it seemed like that was very traditional. That sometimes, um, when tribes would be warring with each other, if they took prisoners, they would often adopt small children to be their children. Um, so that was an interesting dynamic. And then you had the priest who kind of filled that classic gonna convert the savages role mm-hmm. and save their souls yeah. and um you know one of the things have you read the poisonwood bible i feel like i have a really long time ago okay for book club maybe mm, we didn't do it for book club. no okay well then maybe not okay well it's one of my all-time favorite books um it's barbara king solver and it's about That's why i haven't read it oh you're not a fan of hers no okay Sorry, Barbara. Um, <laughs> uh, so that is the story about a Southern uh, Baptist family going to the Belgian Congo in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And the father is a minister who tries to convert <laughs> the savages. Yep. Um, so I, I felt a similar thing in that stubbornness and that naivete and that mis- cultural misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And that's really, I think, what this book was about was never getting other cultures. Yeah. It re- whether it was a different tribe or the French. Uh, and, and I think it, this book really illustrated how the French manipulated the uh, native tribes by putting shiny objects forward like rifles. Yeah. And, um, ex- you know, in both books, there was – and really actually everything we read, it talked about their exposure to disease, which yeah. I guess we kind of know, but it really hit at home just how much – how germy we were and how we just totally – decimated so many tribes through bringing things through like smallpox and tuberculosis and all the things. So yeah, and I think um, the author did a really good job. One of the things, I don't know if you noticed, but the the word choices he would use for all the priests, they would use words like lazy mm-hmm. and children mm-hmm. and that really kind of demeaning, like not, it'd be like, wow, they're such hard workers, but then they can also be really lazy and Great. wow, they seem really smart, but then we have to guide them because they're naive, innocent children. You know, they really didn't see them as full whole humans, which I think was intentional, but also frustrating to read throughout the book. And also common throughout all four of the books. I yes. Like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I wrote down uh, stupid persistence and inflexibility when it came to the French Catholic priests. Like, I, I thought that they were so inflexible and so, like, they just were so hard-headed. They were like, my mission is to convert them, and that's all they did. No matter how often they were rejected or how often it was made abundantly clear to them that there was no interest. And so then they'd start bribing them mm-hmm. with, like, the feasts mm-hmm. and being like, I can, and, like, their little tricks with, like, the clock mm-hmm. and the writing down and all of that, and which on one hand was super smart, but I was like, this is, you know, they're never going to trust you. They think you're crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and they just weren't willing to accept that there's another way of life, which I guess was the point. But it just, again, I, you know, it also kind of got old. Like it was like, oh, for the love of God, okay, yeah. you're going to try again to convert a lot of people and they're going to think you're an idiot and mm-hmm. it's not going to go well. And then you're going to scratch your head and go, huh, why didn't that work? Yeah. Huh. Please, God, help me figure out how to convert these salvages. I kind of feel like that is a common theme throughout a lot of books that have a priest come in to try and, quote, unquote, save the people. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm reading The Bear and the Nightingale right now, and Mm -hmm. there's a similar Mm -hmm. situation of they're in Russia, and this priest comes and tries to 
break them of their habits Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's turning them to be fearful. So then they're following the priest, even though the priest thinks they're all crazy and stupid. And it's, Hmm. I wonder if it's just society's idea of what priests actually do of like Mm -hmm. the degrading commentary of like, I'm here for you. I'm here to save your soul. Yeah. And all the priests that I know personally, I don't feel like are actually like that. Right. I mean, I don't know a ton of priests, obviously, but the times that I've gone to church or have been involved in, you know, Christian, Christianing, Christian, Christians, Christ, no. oh, like when a child is Christian. Yeah. Okay. Christianings. Christianings. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And baptisms, like all the priests mm-hmm. have been super groovy and nice. I mean, I yeah. haven't been to many, but. Well, I think, you know, it goes back. It's it just, I, it still happens. I mean, I. I don't want to call out the Mormon faith. Well, I guess I am, but not in a negative <laughs> way. But that's still a really big part of right. their religion is that I think when they're like, what, eight, between like 18 and 21, they're supposed to go on a year-long mission. Two. Two. Okay. Yeah. Two year long. So that's the goal. Yeah. They're supposed to go to a underdeveloped country and try and convert them to Christianity. So it still happens. Yeah. Um, I think as we evolve and grow, yes – they're so I think there's a spectrum yeah. across all religions. I mean, you know, Robert's parents were both Methodist ministers that did missionary work their entire lives. Mm. But I'm always really quick to explain to people that they weren't the Jesus saves um, converting type of missionaries. They did social work. They taught. um, So they actually were doing good things. Mm -hmm. But I always feel like I have to, when I use the word missionary, I feel like I have to clarify because I don't want people thinking that that's what my in-laws were like because they're not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was, there were two really young women walking in my neighborhood the other day. This is totally off topic, but they were Mormon missionaries and one, her name was Gretel. And then the other one was another like really old fashioned name. And they're like, have you taken Jesus heart and Jesus Christ into your heart? And I was like, you know, I am all about Buddha and Buddha loves everybody regardless. And they're like, oh, that's nice. And then walked away. And I was like, (laughs) At least I wasn't offensive. I mean, it's just like, I... Yeah. Well, I appreciate that you put it out. Uh, Yeah. I mean, I agree. I hear you. (laughs) All right. Well, we probably shouldn't go down that rabbit hole too far. (laughs) We don't want to lose any listeners. Um, What else? So I wrote down, yes, uh, a lot of fighting, clash of cultures, the influence of early white settlers. I wrote down illness, weapons, and alcohol. There was a little bit of mysticism in the book, especially Mm -hmm. with Gosling. Mm -hmm. Um. I one of the things that I liked uh, when they were talking with Crow, Christoph mm-hmm. the Crow, and uh, Bird's best friend, the fox or whatever his name was, he goes, um, "Make a firm choice, paddle or don't paddle. There's no middle out here." Mm. And I was like, "Oh, that's so. I love that." Mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah." How often are we like wishy washy? And it's like you either do it or you don't. But just you, you know, just do something. Just do something. Yeah. So, um. I would say, yeah. And then I guess my last thought, I have more notes on here, but... She has three pages of notes, Well, no, it actually goes into Last Standing Woman. Oh, okay. So really only have a page and a half. (laughs) But um, it it ends on a very dark and, again, violent place. Yes. (laughs) Um, So there you go. I mean, again, I, it was, it was beautifully written. I liked the three points of views. I think it was, as best to my knowledge, and I'm not a indigenous history expert a fairly accurate portrayal of what happened again i think in the 1700s um but yeah i wish i'd read it at a different time i think it's not a good read for um 
holiday cheer. No. No. Mm -mm. In other words, I've been really enjoying the Jane Austen project on my mm. Kindle, which has really made it hard for me to <laughs> uh, keep picking up Last Standing Woman, yeah. which we're going to talk about now. Yeah. So why don't we take a quick break and then we'll wrap it up with your pick. Sounds great. Hey, listeners. Um, as we enter into the holiday time, again, if you are doing any shopping on Amazon, we would love it if you would use our website as a launch pad to click through to Amazon. You don't necessarily have to buy the book that you click on unless you really like it and go for it. But, um, you know, it does cost us a little bit of money to keep this show running. About, what, $32-ish a yeah. month? Mm -hmm. And so, although we don't want, we're not big on the whole monetizing and affiliate thing, it does help us pay the bills. So, help us out this holiday season and uh, let Amazon pay us a little bit of money. Okay. Last standing woman, Winona yeah. LaDuke. You know, you didn't tell me why you picked the Arenda. How did you, how did you come Goodreads. up with Goodreads. <laughs> That's how you always do everything, yeah, right? Yeah, I always put like Native American fiction and then I pick whatever one has more than four stars. And Got the Arenda has like 4.4 stars. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it was a good book. Ugh. I think it's just a timing thing. God. Okay. It's too much. Too much. Too much. All right. So I picked The Last Standing Woman for a couple reasons. First of all, did you see Winona LaDuke when she came and talked here a while back? No. Okay. So when I was in grad school here at NAU, um, we actually read one of her nonfiction books. I'm drawing a blank on it, but we can add it to show notes, um, which I enjoyed a lot. And then she was also our Earth Day speaker, probably my first year here. So it's been a while. Mm. Um Seems like a really cool and interesting person. She's a huge activist for Native American rights, um, written lots of books, does a lot of traveling, does a lot of uh, protesting, just a really active, inspirational woman. So when I discovered she had a fiction book, I was like, oh, well, that could be interesting. And then I really liked the premise that it was supposed to cover, I think, what, eight to ten generations? Yeah. Um, so I liked the – and it was supposed to go into the future, which ironically, because of when this was published, the future ended up stopping in 2018. And I think it became the future around 2000. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so this was a slightly older book, and I didn't take that into account that what we considered the future was now present day. Um Again, I think this was the last one out of the four I read, so it got the least amount of love for me, which, yeah. again, I think was unfortunate. Uh, things that stood out to me, I loved the maps on the front page because – not I shouldn't say I loved them. But what – I got excited when I first started reading it because I've been to Cass Lake. And I've been mm. to that part of – and I've been to Bemidji and I've been to the Mississippi Headwaters. And mm -hmm. so I've actually been to that part of Minnesota, uh, which was interesting because – I have no recollection of any interaction with Native Americans or Native American culture when I was there. Hmm. Now, I was there for a wedding, and, you know, it might have just been the timing, and we weren't, like, there to explore culture and history. But I kind of felt a little embarrassed and ashamed of myself as I was like, oh, okay, this was actually, you know, traditional in indigenous land. And especially, like, when they're talking about use of the lakes for recreation, because, again, that's why we were there. And I was just like, oh, God, I was one of I those was part of that problem. <laughs> but I even have a Cass Lake t-shirt. Oh, cool. I should have worn it today. Oh. Port planning, Corey. I know, I know. <laughs> so I, if, I got excited at first. I was like, oh, I kind of know this area. I've been there. And then, especially with where it started, it was like, okay, yes. Oh, disease, check. Mm -hmm. Oh, alcohol, 
Check. Ope, white men deceiving Native Americans and stealing their land. Check. Mm-hmm. Ope, white men trying to convert them to uh, Christianity. Check. Ope, taking children and forcing them into boarding school. Check. And I was like, okay, yes. we've Same been... thing. Three books, four books in a uh, row. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, and again, not to be dismissive of that, but I, you know, at that point, I was no longer engaged in the story because I'd gone through it three times previous. So that's what I mean by it's unfortunate because as a standalone book, I think it does a good job. Um, other than I had a really hard time, I liked that the sh- chapters were short, but the changing constantly mm-hmm. of stories made it really hard. I couldn't follow any of the family trees. There was just too many players along yeah. the way. I feel like it was just, for me, it was the last book that I read. And so I was just telling Corey before we started recording that I would like read the first paragraph and then I would read the last paragraph just to like get mm-hmm. where it started and where it ended because after like the first three or four chapters I kind of saw similarities throughout mm-hmm. all of the other books and I was like I don't want to spend my time reading the same thing like I am so tired of reading mm-hmm. about it and it doesn't make me feel good and it's not very cheerful and I just want to read a fiction book that doesn't make me feel like a asshole white person of Mm -hmm. oh joy look at what we did again yep yeah so again well written i think it's an interesting story i think the standouts for me in the book um that were new was the character who acted in hollywood as an indian Mm -hmm. um you know again that wasn't necessarily a new concept for me but hearing it kind of from what was supposed to be more of a personal perspective of reenacting um, all these different tribes that were not your own and Mm -hmm. how they tried to make you more Indian than you really were. Um, Like that was a new piece that we hadn't really seen. And then the piece with the standoff with the FBI, when they barricaded themselves in, when they were fighting. So they were fighting against um, people coming in and wanting to log on their, on their prop, on the reservation. And it also showed an aspect of how sometimes the tribal leaders weren't always acting in the best interests of the rest of the tribe and instead were wanting to line their own pockets with money. And so that internal conflict of if you can't even trust your tribal leaders mm-hmm. to save and protect your land, what are you going to do? Yeah. Um, and, and again, it reminded me of some of the protests that have been happening in the last year or two with the um, pipeline in South Dakota and the Keystone. So, you know, again, this is still happening, you know, people are still chaining themselves to equipment and going on starvation fasts and protesting and putting themselves at risk and in danger to protect their land. And so it's, it's a time, unfortunately, it's still a timeless story, I think. But what's nice about current times, at least, is that there are a lot of white people standing up at this point like Mm -hmm. they're not allowing what's Mm -hmm. happened in the past continue to happen i mean at the dakota pipeline there were tons like Mm. thousands of people and you know a lot of actors went there Mm -hmm. to kind of film it and see like this is what's actually happening this Mm -hmm. is what the news isn't telling Mm -hmm. you so i think there is a high majority of people that are wanting to shift the way that Native American culture and, you know, that this doesn't just affect them, this affects all of us as a Mm -hmm. whole. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something new that hasn't happened. Mm. So even though like reading these books, you know, it's basically the white person is to blame for everything and we're horrible (laughs) people. When you look at today, like more people are speaking up, more people are Mm -hmm. part of these little 
organizations to try and get people to stop wanting to mine the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. Like I have a coworker and she is heavily involved in working with an organization to show that mining in the Grand Canyon mm-hmm. affects us all. It affects sure. everybody on this planet. So, you know, I was trying to keep the positivity going because I was so depressed of like, yes, we do shitty things, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of us that are really trying to break the silence. And if the Native Americans can't have a full voice, then luckily you have really strong white people that can help and pave the way of like, mm. you need to pay attention to these elders. Like they know, like, yeah, it's just, Although, unfortunately, it's not very yeah big yet, I don't think. Although I'm going to flip it a little bit and pay, kind of play tiny devil, devil's advocate. Okay. <laughs> I, and and I and I don't say I don't disagree with you, but um, I I don't even know how to articulate this. So I agree that it's great that the protest is creating awareness beyond the Native American culture and population. I struggle a little bit with the idea that it takes us white folks to come in and rescue and make things happen. Does that make sense? It does. And I totally see that, but at the same time, like, the white people, it appears that we have more power. Right. And we have more credibility, and we have more of a voice, because there's still that mindset of Native Mm -hmm. Americans are unintelligent, and they Mm -hmm. don't have a voice, and that their voice is weird or not something to be acknowledged. So it's still a shitty situation of, like, Mm -hmm. white people may be viewed a little bit more prestigious than native americans right now yeah yeah i like it make i guess it just makes me feel uncomfortable and icky that that it takes the white person's voice to get national attention and for people to pay attention and that their voice alone is not valid but that's what we did with neither wolf nor dog true and the native americans know that like to get something across, you need a white educated person to say it a yeah. lot of the time, which doesn't speak highly of us at all. Right. But it is a good outlet. I mean, I don't think neither Wolf nor Dog would have gotten published if Ken hadn't done it. True. Yeah. I guess we're just, I feel like we're helping, but we're also perpetuating the problems. It's kind of like, yeah. you know, I mean, there's been a lot of debate around whether or not white people should be involved with Black Lives Matter. It's the same thing. I mean, you know, if you're not part of the oppressed culture, what is your role? Right. And I don't have a great answer to that. I mean, it's going to differ <laughs> depending on who you talk well, to. Well, it's just like the women's rights thing. Like, mm-hmm. it, I mean, dudes don't have vaginas or uteruses and they can't give birth to babies, but yeah. they sure love to delegate what they can and can't do in Congress. So He's a tiger. He's a tiger. So you're right. You're right. I, I mean, I think regardless, like mm-hmm. all of us are going to be there's always, I think every person on this planet can feel degraded at some mm-hmm, point, like mm-hmm. women, men, Native Americans, Black people, Hispanic people, the dreamers, like everybody on this planet is going to have somebody that's against them. True. And so I kind of feel like rallying together and realizing like we're all in this together. We mm-hmm. all have prejudices. Like yep. mm-hmm. we all experience some sort of discrimination of some point. Mm-hmm. That that makes it powerful. But okay. right now we're still separating. Like it's right. still Native Americans have their issues. Women have their issues. Men have their issues. Mm. Republicans have their issues. <laughs> Democrats have their issues without really realizing like we're all people. 
True. And we're all in this together. Mm. And that is my Buddha-ness for the day. That's such a great place to end, actually. I really like that because I agree with you. Um, so, yeah, long and short, I I think I would recommend either book. Um, the Arenda is uh, a newer published book, but about an older time mm-hmm. where Last Woman Standing definitely brings you into definitely modern time issues of the Native Americans. Um but I, again, I think if you're wanting to learn more about the culture and the history, I would go back to one of our nonfiction books as a, rec- as a strong recommendation for people. Um, and I strongly encourage you, if you don't know a lot or you only know what you learned in elementary school or high school. <laughs> Which was written and taught by probably white people. That you probably should go out there and read a little bit more um, about what's really a beautiful culture mm-hmm. and people that were here before us. and. Definitely are still getting screwed over on a daily basis. So I think awareness is half the battle Mm -hmm. of knowing their history and understanding who they are as a culture and as people. And then you can make some decisions from there about what you might want to do or think about it. Totally. Cool. All right. All right, all. Well, happy holidays and thanks for listening. Hey, book friends. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thanks for listening along with us. Head over to our podcast site to share your recommendations and your opinions with us on the books we have read. That website is booksandteapodcast.com. It's also where you will find our podcast show notes with a full list of titles for the books, along with our favorite tea and what we mentioned today. If you are on any social media, feel free to stop by our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You will find those links on our website. To be the first to hear about the next new podcast and what we are working on, make sure you are signed up to our newsletter. 